Welcome to the One House Podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today, we have Orion Parrott, Berkeley Haas EMBA and General Partner at Orange Fund. Orion is an experienced leader in business and technology and uses his background to build, explore, and invest in crypto. Orion, welcome and great to have you on the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be back. Yeah, Ryan, you are a multiple One Haas podcast guest. For folks who didn't see your uh, original episode, they can go check and see and really learn, I think, everything from your background growing up to you know how you transitioned from being in defense contracting to now what you're doing today. But would love to just do a recap for folks who didn't get to listen to that podcast. Could you just share a bit about your background? You know, Maybe talk about where you grew up, maybe where you went to school, and then talk about just briefly, if you would, on um, how you came to Haas for the EMBA and eventually graduated from that program. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up East Coast, mostly Maine and then Virginia. Studied electrical engineering at Virginia Tech for an undergrad program, which brought me also to the Technion in Israel for a year of engineering. That was an awesome experience. Later did a master's degree at Northeastern courtesy of the Raytheon Michioli Scholars Program, and found myself in California working for Raytheon as well. Ended up working for another company called Teledyne that's in Rancho Cordova outside of Sacramento, and they were inviting me to do an MBA. I was fortunate to have the opportunity to do that at Haas, which I had always known I wanted to start a company, but really didn't know where to start at previous points in my life. And Haas really helped me find my footing for that. And, you know, I was really thankful to join the MBA for executives and be able to work with just amazing, amazing people in the cohort. We were the first cohort in 2014, graduating in 2014, the first one that was separate from Columbia. And so it was a pretty awesome opportunity to redefine what Haas is all about, which they did with the four defining principles. So we were the first cohort of that new program. When it comes to a startup, you're balancing the business and the technical founder dynamic. But in your case, you know, you kind of almost get both as being an engineer going into the MBA program. So how did you think about that and and what you were hoping to get out of that program and experience versus like someone who doesn't have maybe that engineer background or that technical experience? I looked at the MBA as a way to really focus on kind of this other set of skills, the people skills, but also some hard technical skills in terms of finance and accounting to be able to get a broad picture of of what it would take to start a business. And frankly, some people will say, well, you don't, you don't need an MBA to start a startup. I, I think that's true. But for someone like me, I prefer to just go at it all at once. And it was like such a whirlwind of productivity and growing a dollar and seeing different perspectives and so many things that I had always wondered about the world just made a lot more sense, right? Being able to grasp macroeconomics and how different economic flows fit in together and even even microeconomics of, of just seeing how individuals make decisions financially and that, you know, there are there are real answers there that have been figured out through study and models and simulations. And, and I, just, I just thought it was fascinating. And it was great to really kind of round things out because almost all of my studies previously in engineering, I mean, almost every course I took was basically math, whether it was programming or physics or electromagnetics. 
So it was just great to spend time, I think, focusing on each other in the class as well, right? And one of the biggest parts about going to Berkeley Haas is just the people that you get to meet, whether it's professors or fellow students. Did you feel like you knew that you wanted to be an entrepreneur like right out of business school? Did you already have that like super early on as part of that process? During the MBA, I was like, well, this is my, this is my chance to make a switch. Like, I'm going to figure this out. I think I stated my intention to my classmates, like, I'm going to find a business to start. That had some challenges that went with it, right? I think, you know, I might have picked something a little too early and maybe too much change all at once. Not that you can't just go in and say, I'm going to start a business. But in my case, I think more market research and more investigation. But I, I did a lot of investigation and market research. So maybe I'm not, I'm not sure how that could have been different. But yeah, I mean, I had the idea very early in the MBA that that was my intention. If anyone's seeing your bio and your background knows, you know, you, you were able to start your own company and, and manage that for a number of years and then eventually kind of transitioned a bit into an advisor and kind of a, an investor piece, which is I know what you're, you're doing today. And what I'm super excited to kind of talk to you about, but can you explain a bit about that? You know, what was that experience like? And I know part of that experience was being done in the pandemic. So I would love to kind of understand what was that kind of arc like for you and, and how did you end up landing where, where what you're doing today with Orange Fund and, and, and investing in crypto? So Orange Fund is the investment fund of Orange Dow. We invest in crypto startups. So we're a venture capital fund, but we call it community capital because it's really about creating access for the members, our members of the DAO, which I'll explain, to be able to, you know, have better access to investing in crypto startups and also to be able to have more opportunities to support them and grow their personal angel investing capabilities and startup mentorship. So Orange DAO is now a collective of 1,300 founders. We consider ourselves a founder DAO that is investing in founders. And so as experienced startup operators, we're able to add a lot of value. And it's basically what would be considered a super angel fund because we only write $100,000 checks. We now have a $50 million total fund size. And we're writing angel size checks, but when, when a founder receives a check from Orange Dow, they're not getting the benefit of working with just one angel investor, but more than a thousand. And so our network primarily comes from Y Combinator. We have no official relationship with YC, but we are founders of YC-backed companies. So it's been an honor to work with a lot of great folks in Orange Dow. So a Dow by the way, is a decentralized autonomous organization. And the idea is, in our case, it's a thin layer of governance that can help with the distribution of, of funds and resources. And so in addition to the $50 million fund, we also have a $30 million, $30 million of partnerships from layer one protocols that are for rendering services over the next five years. It's written up in TechCrunch, but it's Algorand and Near are the, the crypto protocols that have been invested in us to partner with us in supporting more founders and having access to our network. We're thrilled to be uh, partnered with these blockchains and these foundations that go with them. You know, to answer your question about how I ended up arriving here and making that transition, 
going to Berkeley Haas, I believe was a big part of, for me, opening the doors to get into Y Combinator. I believe I was the second student from Haas to uh, get into YC, which happened in 2016 after I graduated. I believe the first one was Moses Lowe with Zendit and they're an awesome company. So one door opens another, right? And so when I had my, my YC startup, it was called LendSnap, and we were doing software for mortgage lenders. And it didn't create a lot of opportunities for me to interact with the rest of the, the network of alumni of Y Combinator. And I'm, I'm really excited now that I've had that opportunity and to be plugged in with these folks. So again, Orange Dow does not have an official relationship with YC, but we are a, a DAO of founders that is focused on supporting founders through investment and mentorship. And it's just been a blast working with folks. Yeah, Orion, that's super awesome. And we were chatting a bit about this. Like I've learned a lot about DAOs just because particularly in the HR space, which which I have some purview into, it, it's definitely a very interesting concept. So just to give a recap for some folks, it's essentially a, a way for people to get connected as part of like almost like an organization, but you're using the technology that allows people to have that kind of relationship. That being said, the fund that you're managing for Orange Fund is more of a traditional fund. So you're able to get investments from more traditional areas of capital and it's it's operating that way. But you have, it's almost like you have the best of both worlds. You have the organization of a DAO, but then you're also able to take advantage of just traditional venture capital or private capital funding sources. Yeah, that's the aim. And I guess to add to that, astute listeners might be wondering, how are the two of them connected? And so the way a venture fund operates, we have a typical, what's called a two and 20 model. So that's a 2% management fee and 20% carry or carried interest. Mm -hmm. uh, that means the general partnership receives 20% of the profits from the fund when, you know, if we can pick the right startups and make the right investments and not get over diluted, right? Then you have some upside there. And so we take all of that carry and we put it into the DAO. And in that way, the whole DAO members get to participate in uh, that upside eventually. So it's not directly shared carry, but it is, you know, shared governance over the assets in that treasury. One of the things for someone like me who doesn't know that much about crypto or blockchain technology generally is that there's this community or group aspect to how the whole ecosystem operates. Could you explain a bit of that for folks who might be unfamiliar? And why is that important? You know, even for, in your case, setting up a, a fund and using that DAO governance structure as even conceptually a way to how you want to manage that. How, how does that come into play, that community or group aspect of blockchain or, or crypto? Yeah, that's a great question. It absolutely does. And, you know, the community is really fundamental to what blockchains can do, right? When we talk about a DAO or other instances of decentralization, usually it refers to group decision-making. And Vitalik Buterin, the founder of Ethereum, recently had a really good article about this, the difference between convex and concave decision-making of what types of decisions are good to be made in a group. And basically it's when a good answer is the average of the suggestions, then, then that's great. And I believe he calls that concave. But when, I don't need to get too much into the technical, but there are types of decisions maybe that are not as good made in a group, right? Because, you know, for a startup to be nimble and effective, right? Usually there's a strong CEO, but in a DAP, there isn't a CEO and there is 
you know, it's not an oligarchy either. It's not supposed to be a collection of, of several individuals, but when the goal is to decentralize, it's to really create fairness. And so those are one of the, the main ethos, right? And so because this is the kind of thing you can do with a blockchain, which is distribute authority, distribute decision-making and power and resources, right? There's a real ethos towards community and making sure that everyone can participate and that everyone can benefit in the same way, right? And this is the intent of a lot of the, you know, say public markets, but we know that actually they haven't, they haven't really achieved it, right? Because the participants in public markets that control, you know, billions or even trillions of dollars tend to be the most advantaged, right? And so crypto communities are very interested in changing that so that participation can be much more equal. When it comes to investing money, there's a lot of responsibility. And then especially in this space, it seems like as it relates to crypto, there's a lot of networking, even more kind of constant engagement on different types of social media and like posting on things like Twitter all, all the time or, or connecting with people. And then you have kind of the business responsibilities of managing that fund as a general partner. Like, how do you think of that and manage that? How does that come into play as, as a business? You know, you're trying to invest, but you, there's all these other aspects, especially in crypto, that are just maybe part and parcel with with how you have to operate in this space. What you're talking about is you're really touching on these are the things I think day to day that we're trying to figure out. And so we really aim to be, as a DAO, one of the preeminent, like we're, we want to be the founder DAO that becomes the most recognized. And we're, we're doing things differently from a lot of DAOs. Like I said, a lot of them are protocols which means they have a smart contract or something that can run automatically. And the DAO would be some folks that have earned the right to vote on any changes that are needed to that, right? Whereas we are, we don't have protocols yet, but we are a group of people taking action to support founders in Web3 and to bring more user into Web3 and to really explore what it means to be a DAO and also explore what are the, the best uses of Web3. and so. For example, just like when you, when the internet first came around, right, and people put things online, many of those ideas were something that existed in the world before, oh, but now we're going to do it online, right? And some of those are successful, but the most interesting cases are when you do something online that was just like really never done before. And so it creates these new ways of doing something. So what I'm saying is the most exciting innovations are not in those where it's like, oh, we did this old thing and now we do it in a new way, but you end up doing entirely new things. But so day to day, we're still figuring out what does that mean to be a DAO? How can we operate effectively, right? Because we have goals and objectives and like we just had a, a DAO-wide summit where we came together to talk about, we're in our, what we call season two, which are, we have six month seasons. And we set some objectives for ourselves and picked some key results of how we want to grow our organization and what we want to achieve. And sometimes, frankly, being a DAO makes those things harder because we don't, like I'm one of the three founders of the DAO, but I'm not in charge and we don't have a CEO and we really want to make decisions as a group. And so we're constantly iterating on what's the most effective way to do that, right? How can you engage and get enough people to respond? And, and how do you have effective conversations so that you talk about the real issues when the path is not clear or there's not automatic agreement? How do we work that out with each other? Though that's where the innovation happens. 
one of the things when people hear about crypto is just, oh, what about the market and, and the global economy and global financials? How do you think about the broader spectrum of just financial markets and how crypto plays in that? And then, you know, how does that inform the way that you and an Orange Fund manage your financials and how you're investing and, and what you see as opportunity even in the future? Yeah, I think one aspect of that is there was a time when people were hopeful that crypto would be decorrelated from the rest of the markets. And that has not come true, mostly because the prospects of crypto seem to be tied to the prospects of, you know, how people feel about the general economy. So capital markets, right, they're influenced by people's perceptions and opinions and expectations, just like the, the other markets that we're more familiar with, traditional financial markets. And so there is a good amount of correlation there, right? So whether it's the war in Ukraine or droughts, they do tie in. And of course, the crypto market has been challenged lately. I think the headline for me, so crypto crashed somewhat due to an ecosystem called Terra and Luna a few months ago. And now it's been harmed again by FTX crashing. And FTX was a centralized exchange that turned out they were mismanaging the money, even though they were, until then, it looked like they were really heroes of the space. And a lot of the wealth of other investors was driven by returns from that company. So the thing to understand about it, the headline to me, is that that's a centralized exchange, not a decentralized financial exchange. And so when we talk about DeFi, we talk about decentralized finance. And in decentralized finance, things are on the blockchain and they're viewable and transparent, which is not to say that things can't go wrong in other ways. Yes, things can be hacked, but in a decentralized exchange, what happened with FTX could not happen because it would all be basically auditable by anybody so, you know, years down the road, I think we're going to look back at as just a turning point where it will accelerate the move to decentralized finance overall. How do you think about that longer term? And where's your head at in terms of the evolution and, and where you would hope to, as a fund at least, take advantage of that, those opportunities to invest, that is? Yeah, no, we definitely have to consider the macro situation. And, you know, for example, a year ago, when we got started, there was a lot of excitement about NFTs and DAO tooling. And NFT sales volumes, I believe, are down 85% or more since then, right? And that affects the prospects and the market sizing, especially in the short term, for startups that are, that are in the NFT space. My understanding is the number of DAOs that are being created has not slowed down very much. So that's, that's encouraging. But it does make for a challenging environment for startups, right? I think where the, the macro situation is probably affecting us the most is other venture capitalists are investing less, and that makes it harder for our portfolio to raise money. We've invested in 125 crypto startups in the last year, by the way. Oh, wow. It's causing us to be a little more conservative, right? We want to continue our, our investing and continue supporting founders, and we certainly believe that folks who are building now, who are sticking around, right? These are, you know, people who are very dedicated, right? And 
when economic times are harder, then it really, you know, can weed out some folks who might have been, you know, along for riding the wave. So I think it's a great time to build. I think it's a great time to invest. But we, you know, we cannot overlook just kind of the general market sentiment and how that's going to affect things and how that might affect the pace, right? So Bitcoin was at $60,000 roughly a year ago. Now it's at 16000 And so that just speaks to the amount of money flowing in or out of crypto, right? And that means a lot of money flowed out in the last year. I don't know if that's a, a net negative, but I believe it was. And this affects just how much liquidity is available for crypto startups overall. You know, as we're kind of coming towards the end of the podcast, really would love to get your sense of what's getting you excited in terms of the future. Anything in the immediate horizon for you that's um, interesting or you find kind of uh, top of mind, especially in the space that you're investing in with Orange Fund? I mean, I am excited about participating in the evolution of DAO and to do the group decision-making and keeping it really about the people so that we can support each other and really be a community. I think it's easy to do things asynchronously, right? We're on Discord or Telegram or Farcaster is a, a Web3-based chat app that we like to use. But I'm excited to you know, just see how we can support each other and really develop that community and how being a DAO can be an enabler of the community rather than something that detracts from it. Because honestly, it's not necessarily a better world by being a DAO, right? You lose some of that, the legal definition of how things might be treated. And, and we believe we're paving the way to make it possible for more folks to create DAOs, which will create more opportunities for community capital and investment I will say I'm excited to see the level of engagement from Berkeley and from Haas that, uh, you know, there's several groups, several ways to engage and through the blockchain at Berkeley, you know, the students there are just doing an amazing job of teaching themselves crypto. I think when there were not options, but now they've created a lot of options, right? And you can just go right onto YouTube and look at blockchain at Berkeley and search for that and you'll pull up a bunch of great courses. And of course, leadership from professors like Don Song at Berkeley. And so I'm, yeah, I'm just very excited and looking forward to seeing how we can partner Orange Dow more with Haas and Blockchain at Berkeley and, and other groups. That's awesome. You know, Ryan, we have a tradition here on the podcast, you know, kind of some parting words of wisdom for you. Your career is super multifaceted. You know, you got your education, business school was an engineer, startup founder, now investor. <laughs> it's kind of the, the bucket list for, I think, a lot of Hasis <laughs> coming out of the MBA program. You know, We would feel fortunate if we got to do all those things. And now you get to invest in such an interesting and dynamic space while also building a community. Like, Can you share any words of wisdom that you might give to either a prospective student or you know, just someone in our, maybe someone who's graduated and is in our Berkeley Haas ecosystem, just based on your background and whether it's personal or professional, could you share any words of wisdom you'd like with the community and folks listening to the podcast? Yeah, I think that being Berkeley Hoth really opens a lot of doors and that folks should feel bold about reaching out to whomever that they want to connect with. Because I think, I think you really have that capability through the network. <laughs> I want to refer back to something that Dean Lyons would say during our Ember program. And he would say that Berkeley Haas takes you from saying they do things to 
I do things. And I guess that's the encouragement, right, for folks when you, you see people doing amazing things and building venture funds, that you're the, you're the people who are going to do that now and in the future. You know, we have such an amazing privilege that we can take advantage of to be able to connect with folks, connect with each other, and really be able to achieve whatever we're trying to achieve. Yeah, you know, Ryan, it's, it's been great to have you back on the podcast. I'm super stoked to just continue to see everything that's happening at Orange Fund and all the work that you're doing in the future. We want to wish you the best and uh, want to say thanks again for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. <laughs>